y'all. The Paranormal Chick here. Thank you for joining me on my podcast. Today we are going to talk Bigfoot, specifically regarding a woman's several encounters she's had with him over the years. Her name is Tina, and she hails from the great state of Georgia. This is her story. I used to go walking in the forest. Our home is in the white forest until something started breaking off trees and blocking my pathways. The trees were placed in the shape of an X. In one encounter, I took pictures of my dog near a structure. I had this picture with me for over five years and finally decided to post it to a Bigfoot page. Someone from that page reached out to me because they saw something in the background. It looked like a Bigfoot. I never did see it while I was out that day, but I do remember I had a rock thrown at me during the walk. My husband was with me at that time. And mind you, he is a 6'7", retired, decorated Marine officer. He was behind me that day. I, of course, accused him of throwing the rock at me. And I even asked him, why did you throw the rock so close to my body and my face? That's when he looked at me. He said, I saw that. Run. We ran. I've had a total of three experiences with seeing these things. But the experience that shakes me to my core, that I remember vividly, was the one that I had with my 13-year-old son. We were driving on old Cartersville Road towards Highway 61, just past the chicken farm, but before the pond. It was around 9 or 10 p.m. at night. It had stopped raining a little earlier that day, so the ground was still wet, but the fog had lifted, so it was a clear night. I saw what I thought was a bear crouched down on the right side of the road. I turned to tell my son to look at the bear. My son was in the back seat, but before I could turn around, I noticed it had stood up on two legs. That's when my son started asking me what it was. I noticed it was over seven feet tall, covered in long black hair. It was burly. It had to have been five to 600 pounds. It was no more than 20 to 30 yards outside of our truck window. It was so large, I could see its muscles and its thighs. Its head appeared to sit on its body like it didn't have a neck. The head shape looked like it came to a point. Honestly, it looked like a bipedal ape. It had something white in its hand. And that's when I registered that it had hands, not claws. The arms were longer than human arms. They seemed to stretch closer to the knee area. When it walked, the knees worked perfectly. It did not have like a bow-legged effect, which made it seem human but it looked like an ape. It started to move towards the road, walking on two legs. My lights stayed on it. It seemed to want it to get out of my light path. When it walked for the road, it was headed directly into the path of my truck. I was stopped on a small curb, so my lights followed it. I hit my fog lights and it turned back from the direction it came. It picked up speed and started to run. It was still on two legs. I could see the footfalls and the thigh muscles bounce. It was so close, I even saw the butt muscles flex under all of its hair. It started moving so fast, 
the white thing in his hand was a blur. We made it home that night. But the next day, the next day I returned to the area. I had to see where it had run off into the woods. And that's when I realized it was an uphill area. The way it was moving and how fast it was going, I thought it was on flat land. I also noticed the house near the area had a big chicken coop out front. And what do you know? It had white and brown chickens. The experience left us scared. And I remember at that time, I only had a nine millimeter on me. But I felt like it wasn't enough, not enough to protect us. So that was Tina's story. I find it interesting to note the detail of how she described the creature, how vivid her memory still is after so many years of experiencing that. But really the details and the description of it that she gave, the cone-shaped head to the overextended arms, but the most telling feature was the description of the creature not having a neck. Those are classic descriptions given by eyewitnesses of a Bigfoot. Being a mom, I couldn't even imagine the fear that she felt. Because that's your first instinct as your child. So seeing something huge, unknown, something that's supposed to be a fairy tale, and you realize you're not the predator, something else is. It's an unimaginable feeling. But what I find interesting about these encounters with Bigfoot, well, the ones in the lower 48, let's put it like that, uh, they're not overly aggressive. Now, if we want to talk the Bigfoot located in the Pacific Northwest or Alaska, those are a different type of aggressive Bigfoot. But the other states, Ohio, Georgia, Kentucky, they're not aggressive towards humans. And there's accounts of encounters after encounters, sightings, vocalization. It seems to be though that they're more afraid of us than we are of them. Their whole intention when they see a human is to run, to leave, to get out of there, to not be seen, or to stand as still as they can and take off. It makes you wonder how sentient these beings are to recognize humans as a danger to them. And rightfully so, we really are. The moment we encounter something other, something different, human nature, human history, we destroy it. And it's something that we need to learn to live with, alongside, and sort of, kind of like a harmony, a peaceful harmony. Now the other Bigfoots, the ones in Alaska, the ones, you know, Prince, Prince George's Island, the local natives' stories of the Sasquatch eating people, attacking natives, people disappearing. Is it because they just hate humans? Or is it because we're not respecting their boundaries? 
their territories, because underneath it all, they truly are animal. How human they are, we'll never know, but they truly are a primate. And we know with the great apes, they are very territorial. You cannot enter their space without being attacked. So maybe Bigfoots are the same way. Maybe we just need to stop going into their homes rudely without an invitation. I say that jokingly, but we really we really need to stop enroaching on their land. And I think that's what the issue is. Actually, I think that's a big issue right now. And I think that's why we're seeing so many sightings and so many videos and so many vocalizations is because we're expanding out further and further and we're tearing down forests and we're, you know, digging up land and we're overextending ourselves and now we're we're destroying habitats of natural animals. I don't think this is going to be the last sighting. Maybe, who knows, it may be the last sighting for Tina, but for other people, we're going to see so many more. We're going to have encounters. And maybe one day we'll actually be able to protect them. I don't want to say capture. I am actually not for capturing any type of Bigfoot or unidentified creature or a new creature. I don't believe that we have the right to put a creature in a lab to be studied and dissected. But I do believe we need to protect them. There should be laws in place and not just one state, but all states to protect unidentified creatures. There's just too many encounters for them not to be real. And they go back hundreds of years to 1800s, 1900s, when settlers were moving west, they have so many documents and encounters and, you know, sightings as well as footprints of these creatures. So who are we to say they're not real? How much more evidence do we need proving the fact that they are real, that there is something there? I don't know. Maybe if we do a hundred more podcasts, people will start or to start to finally believe and realize that there is something, something beautiful there and we just need to protect it. I have another story to share with you guys. This comes from a park ranger. This one's a little bit terrific because being a mother, I can't even imagine the pain that she went through. A mom decided to take her two kids out into the woods to have a nice little picnic. You know, they didn't go far out. It was just a little picnic area with the table, let the kids run around, enjoy some fresh air, you know, just some family time outside, not cooped up in the house, not watching TV, none of it. Uh, one of the little kids, there was a boy and a girl. One was about five years old. The little girl, I believe, was a little bit older, about seven or eight. They were walking along the path, headed back to the car, and the children were in front of her. And she remembers they were skipping along. There was nobody around. They were alone. They were, you know, everything was fine. It was peaceful. And as they're skipping along, something grabs her attention from the side, from into the, into the woods. 
Something moved, but it caused her to look away from her two children. And it was just one glance, a split second. She looked into the woods because she saw something. And then when she went back to look at her two children, her little boy, he was gone. She didn't panic. She figured he maybe he went off the path into, you know, the thicket to maybe use the restroom, maybe saw something. So she asked her daughter, where did he go? What, you know, where was he? And the little girl said, it came and it picked him up. It came, it picked him up. It started to worry her. She got alarmed. She got scared because her daughter just, she kept saying it came and it picked him up. So she started calling for him, started searching. She didn't find him. She didn't see him. He's a five-year-old boy. He couldn't have gone far. It was literally a split second that she looked away to see what was in the woods and glanced back and he was gone. So she figured he had to be there close. He had to. She started calling for her son, calling, searching, searching, nothing. 15 minutes goes by. She's searching and she cannot find him anywhere near that path. That's when she realizes something more is going on. She needs help. She gets to her her car, manages to call the park rangers and everybody comes out to begin a search for this little boy. They all figured he's not far. He couldn't be far. He couldn't travel that far. He's only five years old. It was already starting to get late. Darkness was starting to set in. There's no way he could have gotten that far on his own. So they figured about two, two miles each way searching and they should be able to find him. Several groups split up and started searching for him, calling for him. They did, you know, a grid format, started looking for him. Uh, Nobody could find him. They searched, called, searched. And by that time, an hour had passed. Still had not found this little boy. Now, everybody's starting to feel that nervous energy. Something was going on. This, this isn't normal. They should have already found him. Even if he was hurt, they should have been able to find him. The second hour passes. Two searchers, two park rangers, kind of went outside of their grid area that they were first set. They decided to look in kind of a more of a remote area, which they knew would have been impossible for this little boy to get to. But they decided to go out further and, and keep looking because the whole situation was odd. They should have already found him by now. He could not have gotten far on his own. There was no other people around when he disappeared. So everything, it's just red flags going off for everybody. So these two guys go off a little bit further. Then they hear this god-awful screech, this yelling, and it raised the hair on the back of their necks. They got scared. And these are seasoned veteran park rangers who've been a part of search and rescues of children, adults. But what they heard was so chilling, it scared them deep. It scared them to the point 
to where one of them wanted to turn around and take off running. His partner grabbed him because you cannot run blindly in the dark. That's how you end up dead in the forest. He got him to calm down a little bit, but they backed away from the area. A couple of days goes by. They still had not found this little boy. They couldn't believe it. They had not found this little boy. The nights had dropped down to about 40, 30 degrees. It was cold. They figured by the time they did find him, it was going to be too late. They, they weren't looking for a search and rescue now. Now they were searching for a body retrieval. They had no hope. About three to four days later, they're out searching. One, a park ranger looks up on a cliff, just glances up, but something up there catches his eye. He doesn't, he doesn't understand to this day why he looked up, but something caught his eye and he decided to climb up to check it out. What he finds is impossible. Something none of them can explain. It's literally impossible of how that little boy got up there. They made the climb, and as he nears what caught his eye, he realizes it's a little cave. It's a little cave tucked around back high up on the cliff face. When they go inside, they find the body of the little boy. He was deceased. But the chilling part about it is he wasn't dead long. He looked like he had just been out playing. He had to have only been dead a couple of hours. He was still warm to touch. They don't know how he got up there. They don't know who put him in that cliff. They don't know where he was or who had him. Weeks go by, the autopsy comes back, and he died from dehydration, exposure to the elements. But so many questions are left. How? Who? What? We'll never know. That's all I have for you today. Tell me what you think. Let me know. And if you have your own experiences that you want to share, that you want your story told, please reach out to me. Send them to me. I would love to tell them. You can send me anything you like. Not just Bigfoot. Any paranormal experience. My email is theparanormalchick at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. Thank mm-hmm. you.